I got a, a card in the mail from someone that used to live here and they had to move off and they moved to Kansas and, and uh, I got a letter in the mail from her yesterday. And she went in kind of details about the struggles they're having with her mom. And, and uh, she said my mother, her mother's in, uh, dealing with Alzheimer's. And, and so my mother said some very horrible things to me. And, and it really hurt, really hurt bad. And a good Christian woman. And sometimes you reach that stage of life, I guess, where you kind of, your mental faculties and controls kind of leave. And, and she said, I got in the car. I was so frustrated. I got in the car and I just stormed off and said, the Holy Spirit told me, said, you need to go link on to the link here at this church and find the sermon. And so she said, I pulled over and started scrolling down through there. And she said, I pulled one of your keys to the kingdom called endurance. And she said, I sat in the parking lot and listened to it. And uh, you know how allergies happen a lot. And she, she said, I'm so blessed. She said, I've, I was just so blessed uh, through in the message of endurance. I realized that my mother's hurting and I need to be a bigger person. And it's just a wonderful, and I told her, I wrote back to her this morning. I said, I kind of feel like my whole life is kind of like a, a voice crying in the wilderness. And I'm just going through the canyons, yelling, screaming the message of God. And, and every once in a while, it's so good to hear someone echoing back. We all go through life, through struggles that we feel like that we're all alone. And, and, and we're going, Gail and I had the opportunity to go to Grand Canyon years ago. And, and it was, it's not as big as I thought. No, that's a joke. It's pretty big. But but we used to do it, some of you, but we used to go to places where you could, it was so quiet, you could hear yourself think if that was possible, but you could say, hello. And somewhere in our life that we just go through our whole life thinking we're all alone and no one knows and no one responds and all of a sudden you'll hear a voice saying, hello back to you. We all struggle. Last week we talked about struggling. Jacob struggled. What do we do when we struggle? What do we do? We're going to have to do something. And don't sit here and look at me like you don't struggle because you do. You're struggling right now. Some of you are struggling right now. And I understand. I understand. But like I told you, what this is, this is, this is a lot of fabricated information. This is not something that I pulled up off the internet. It, it's, it's, a, it's a real message from a real person to real people that are dealing with real problems. That's what this is. So what do we do when we struggle? And as we found out last week, that God told Jacob, he said, all your life, in Genesis, excuse me, that God told Adam, all your life, you will struggle. Not only you, but your descendants will struggle. And boy, God fulfilled his promise on this. Your whole life has been a struggle. Met the wrong person, married the wrong person. Your whole life's been a struggle. Turned right, should have turned left. Went to another church, you should have stayed here. It's the way it is. You know, God is so funny. Can, can I tell this before we go? Ken, Kenny and that's building a house south of town. You don't care if I tell this. Got a nice metal house down through there. Really. Wide open, big metal house. He's way down there on Brock Road. And Galen and I try to go down and check on him. We make sure, Annette, he's working. He is. He's working. <laughs> and it's way down there. Just way down there. And he's always down there, always happy. It's hot. And so Galen and I, we try to go down there once twice a week. Just check on him. We bring him ice cream, but usually I eat it before he gets there. Sorry about that. But... We went there last Friday, and he's out there working. They're digging a septic tank or the aerobic system. He's just out there working by himself and blah, blah, blah. And it's about, oh, about 30 minutes before dark. And so I like to go out there and love on him, encourage him a little bit. And I started off, started turning around. Gato's in the car. And I started to leave. I stayed there about 10, 15 minutes. He got a metal house, and the garage, there's no garage doors on it. And there's, you know, and, but they're working on it. And, and, uh, 
I turned around and the Holy Spirit told me, he said, turn around and tell him about snakes. Now he's been out there for six months. So I, I made my way to the car. It's about like preaching. I almost am finished. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you straight up, I don't ever hear, I don't ever get through. I don't ever get through. I just quit because I know you're tired. Kind of like eating. I don't ever get full. I just get tired of chewing. And I started back to the car. Gayla was waiting patiently with the horn blaring. No, she was not. She was not. And I turned back around. I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And he goes, yeah. You know, I said, snakes. Snakes. There's snakes everywhere down here. And he goes, I hadn't seen the one. I said, I understand that. But I'm here to tell you there's snakes everywhere. So I went through this long process like he was 11, like where they hide and where they go and what they do. And, you know, I just way I treat everybody. And I said, I need you to just be on the lookout. And I've been down there 30 times. So he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he went and said, oh, get back to the car. You know, he said, yeah. <laughs> so I left. And evidently he come from the west side of the house. And four, five, six, eight, ten minutes when I left. And he said, I just kind of had that thought in my mind. Snakes, snakes. Why don't he talk about snakes? And he said, I walked in the garage. I found out this morning there was a rattlesnake coiled up right by his fireplace, right in the garage where he'd been stepping all day long. Seven rattlers, he said this morning. Sometimes what I tell you, you have to weigh out, is it, is it my idea or is this God's instructions? And some of you just come in there thinking, well, that's his idea and opinion. Don't ever say that to me. That's not my opinion. If it cannot be validated by the word of God, I'm not going to speak it to you. So this morning, we're going to kind of finish up where we took a long time last week about struggling. Jacob wrestled with God. And we found that three things that we constantly struggle in life, constantly. If you say you don't, you're lying. You constantly struggle in life. Number one, we, we struggle with ourselves, constantly. Our faults, our failures, our, our flaws, our imperfections, the size of our, our, our stomach, the height of our body, the shape of our anatomy, are we the right color, wrong color? We constantly look in the mirror and and and... We constantly don't like what we see. I understand. Number two, we constantly struggle with other people. They're being disappointed, and, and because they disappointed us, they've disrupted our trust in them. I'm saying. We have a struggle with other people, especially in the church. Understand. We always seem to hurt the people we love the most. And you can turn to somebody and say, boy, you must love me a lot. Oh. <laughs> and number three, we struggle with God. And I asked you last week, is it even possible to struggle with God and survive? And I told you last week, we never doubt his love, but we often doubt his decisions. But this morning, I want to remind you that God would rather have us wrestle with him than just walk away. We talked about wrestling last week is the most is the most uh, eye to eye confrontation we can have in any sport because we're staring at when we're staring at these people six inches forehead to forehead. Matter of fact, it says about Ezekiel that he preached brow to brow. He got right in their eyes. I mean, he climbed in the pew with them. There's something about wrestling that, that is so personal that you, you're so close to your opponent that you see the fear in their eyes or the, or the fierceness in their eyes. But, but the chief goal of wrestling with God or God wrestling with us is, the, is to gain control over your opponent. It's called the submission strategy. That's what wrestling is all about. Can we struggle with God? It's a Hebrew word for 
wrestled. Can we wrestle with God and survive? And the answer is yes, because Jacob did it. And we found out last week that in this wrestling match that the angel had, that he says they wrestled all night, all night, but there was no winner. We talked about you could struggle with God year after year after year, and there's, there's no wins and there's no loses. Nothing changes. It's so aggravating. It's like Groundhog's Day, the movie. Everything's the same. The more we pray, nothing happens. The more we, we fast, nothing happens. It's not like the enemy's getting ground on us or ground on us, and it's not like we're gaining ground on him. It's just wrestling. The Bible says specifically that the angel wrestled all night without a winner. Whew. He's telling you the only way your enemy can defeat you is if you just simply give up. So just keep wrestling with God. Keep pursuing God. Keep struggling with God. God would rather you wrestle with him than walk off. And the Bible says when Jacob and they wrestled without a winner, finally the angel said, I've had enough of this. And we'll talk about this next week, about smoting him in the thigh and crippling. And the Bible says it was there that God blessed him. Not when he got his act together. Not when he got a new car and a new house and a new hairdo and a new woman and a new camel. It was there laying on the ground, bleeding and crying. And in, 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 in a place, in a pool of blood, he cries out to God, Uncle, I give up. I surrender. The whole message of this is this, that if you want to be blessed by God, the beginning of the blessings of God begins in the struggles that we deal with every day of our life. So finally, we come to this place in our life where we may say, and we've done it, we say, God, I got this. And God said, you ain't got nothing. <laughs> the most scariest moment in a human's life is turning a 15-year-old child loose behind the steering wheel of your car and going, boy, Dad, I got this. Mm, mm, that's scary. Anybody help their children do driver's ed? Yeah, that's why we shake a lot. I understand. Now, my father was smart enough to give me keys to an old pickup and say, here, good luck on that, and I'll be back. If, you know, and he turned me loose in the pasture. It is somewhere in this confrontation and struggling with God where you're losing badly. That life does not make sense in your struggle with yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not educated enough. They don't make enough makeup to cover up all my guilt and shame. Number two, you're struggling with other people. They hurt you. They wounded you. And that's in the church. And we carry on that heritage till we get to the last one that we naturally just struggle with God. But I will tell you, struggling with God is a good deal because God's going to win every time. And he's going to put you in a holy headlock and won't let go till you cry and say, I've had enough. Some put your trust in horses. Some put your trust in chariots. But we will put our trust in the name of the Lord, our God. The quicker you give up, the happier you'll be. The quicker you'll quit trying to control things is, is the more blessed you'll be. One of the greatest things you'll do is just get in the back seat and say, here, just, I don't want the steering wheel. You just take me where you want me to go. So it was there, laying on the ground in a pool of blood, blood and snot running everywhere. It was there that God blessed him, not when he got his stuff together. So this morning, one of the first candidates, if you want to be blessed, as the Beatitude says, blessed are you that are poor in spirit. You're broke, you're bankrupt, because the kingdom of heaven is yours. That's why, that's why, ladies and gentlemen, that most of you, and hopefully all of you, struggle every day of your life, because God's going to win the battle, and he's going to win the battle over you. Some people celebrate generals that conquers other countries, but God celebrates when we conquer ourselves. So this morning, so how do we do that? And so I'm glad you asked 
because it was there in the midst of the struggle that I'm losing and I'm losing bad and I'm tired and God has got me in a place where I can no longer run. We'll talk about this next week. If you're a runner, God's going to get you. First Peter chapter five, verse seven says this, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Now this thing, this is so simple uh, on the outlook of it, but I'll, we're going to talk about it. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. We're not going to deal with casting today, but we're going to talk about these two words for care. The first one is merriment, the word care. It means anxieties, worries, stress. It carries the idea of being distracted. Anything that will distract you. Anything. Anything that will distract you. Casting all your cares, your lot bill, your lecture bill, your gas bill, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, whatever it may be distracting you this morning while you're struggling with God, here's how we handle this. This is what we do when we're struggling. Does anybody beside me that does not have a perfect family? All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Your family's not the cleavers, it's the monsters and the atoms, all right? So we're struggling. We're just struggling. Some of you struggle to get here, but I'm glad you're here. Some of them struggled to get here and they didn't get here. But he said, here's the remedy. Is this is how we win every time. This is how God brings us and makes us victorious and everything. We cast all of our cares on him or care. Anything that's distracting you this morning, you've got to cast it to him. And maybe a couple of weeks we'll talk about the word cast it. We, we, we've, we've got to put it to him. We've got to lay it on him because he cares for you. Mellow is where we get a word for like mellow, like mellow. And it means to be interested in, to be fond of, to be concerned about. And I think the message Bible says that you can live carefree before God because he's very careful with you. So this is when I'm struggling with God. The word care, when I'm struggling with God, is that, that is anything that wants to distract me from the relationship that God wants me to have with him now. I understand that I'm going to go to heaven one day and be with him, but I want you to know that if I can't get let that eclipse me, that he is with me now. Eternal life is in me now. When I'm not waiting when this body lays down to have eternal life. When I got born again, eternal life moved in, and that blows 95% of everybody that's sitting in churches today. The kingdom of heaven is within me now. His righteousness, his, his grace, his redemption, everything that pertains to life and godliness is in me now, not when I leave this planet. When I leave this planet, I'll just pack it all up and take it with me. So the chief goal of your enemy is to distract you. Whether it be your work, whether it be your, your children, distractions. And so he said, cast all your distractions, your worry, your stress, your anxieties, your fears, all the stuff on him because he's very fond of you. He loves you. He's very careful over you. And the problem with that is because we equate what ex-husbands did to us, not me personally, but we equate the love of someone to ex-wives and family members and other Christians and other preachers. And I understand that. But once again, now, once again, you got ADD and you're being distracted. Squirrel and you're looking around everywhere. I understand. He loves you. He called you from the foundation of the earth. You did not enlist on your own. Dead man do not anything. We are dead in trespasses and sin. It was through his prevenient grace that kept us in this space of time and waited for justifying grace that we would call out to him. And now we're living in sanctifying grace that the process of, of his glory is being revealed in our life. Romans 8. 
You're no accident. You've been assigned here by God. God strategically put you here. And he saved this space and time just for you, just for me. And I'm here to change my world because God put me here at the exact moment and the exact time. So when I struggle with things and want to get distracted, what do I do? I have to do what I'm about to tell you to do that I've known for 30 years is I'm going to put all my care on him because he really loves me. So if we can, for a few moments, the word acronym, there's the word care is an acronym. It's a formula prayer. The word care is a prayer formula. So not that you would struggle, but some of you are struggling. And I understand. We don't all have the same struggles. But it's, it's the same answer. Jesus is the answer. No matter what problems you have, Jesus is the answer. So that's not just a cliche. So I'm going to explain how this works. It's a formula prayer when we're wrestling with God. The word care. It's an acronym. So we're going to take C-A-R-E because that's easy to, to keep up with. The first one is when I wrestle with God. When I wrestle with God. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about sinners. I'm talking about me as a son of God. He gives sons rights and privileges that outsiders do not have. Now, let me back that up and tell you. Someone said, well, God loves us all the same. Once again, there's a children's church over there. You may need to go over and sit and have crackers and juice with them. My grandson, Alex, can stand on the hood of my car, and I said, look at that, isn't he cute? But you let the neighbor's kids stand on the hood of my car, it's not so cute. The word complain, it's a lament. The first thing when I'm struggling with God, God allows me to complain, or it's a word called to lament. Some of you may need to write this down. A lament is a passionate petition to God. I'm expressing deep sorrow. What's going on in my life? It means with a pure heart and an honest heart, I'm simply telling God what I'm feeling at this very moment. And it's usually in a question form. Complain. Now, I'm going to explain this before you get all religious on me. Complain, lament. In the book of Psalms, there are 150 chapters. Agreed? 65 of them are laments. So I know you. We that were raised Pentecost and sing to God four squares and all. I, mean, I know you. I know Oh, them psalms, they're great. Ooh, we love it. We talk about singing with a loud voice and grab a tambourine. And I mean, we, we locked up about dancing and all this stuff. We, we know all about this stuff. But do you understand 65 of the 150 psalms are laments. David is actually petitioning a complaint against God. And God let him live. Isaiah, Ezekiel. These men actually brought complaints. Jeremiah will talk about that. And God let him live. 65 of them are laments. As a matter of fact, I wrote a few. Why does the wicked prosper? God, where was your justice when destruction come upon us? How long will you turn your back on us? How long will you punish us and reward the wicked? We've never said that, have we? What are you doing up in heaven while we're suffering down here? 65 chapters out of 150 are laments. That these men, that which, which was not only David, but these men, the writers of the Psalms, are lamenting to God with an honest heart and a pure heart. Here, here's a newsflash. If we can't be honest with God, then there's something wrong. How many of those of you get married, you learn to be honest with one another? I'm going to tell you right now. Religion is, is, is robotics. You're just going through the motion. Religion is signing a card and getting baptized and showing up and trying to stay awake. I mean, that's just religion. 
But a relationship with God, God allows you. He said, come, Isaiah 1. He said, come, let's reason together. Let's talk about it. Bring what you have to me. Bring it to the table. Let's talk about it. Don't walk away. Let's talk about it. Grown people, mature people, talk things out. Babies walk out and slam the doors. I called them brats last week. They are brats. 65 of these psalms are laments. Matter of fact, Jeremiah wrote five chapters of laments. It's called Lamentations. Watch this. Lamentations, there are five chapters, 154 verses, 3,415 words of lamenting to God. Pretty quiet this morning, but it's okay. You want me to treat you like an adult? Here we go. For some reason, the key of lamenting is always in question and concern, not in criticism. Now, complaining to God in lamenting is an act of worship. Moses did it. But complaining about God is an act of rebellion. The children of Israel fell into that trap. So I'll kind of break it down to you. Complaining to God is an act of worship because you're lamenting. God, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. How come my wicked boss keeps getting richer and, and, and I, I love you and I, and I, and I pay my tithes to church and I'm, I'm, and I'm, the, I'm the guy that's getting cut from the jaw. I, I don't understand. I'm, my ears are wide open. I'm laying on the ground bleeding. Uh, it's, not, it's not complaining about you. I'm complaining to you. If you have a problem with me, which I know you don't, but if you ever have a problem, don't complain about me. Just come complain to me. It's, 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 it's worlds of difference. And God is telling you when we complain or care, when we cast our cares upon him, the first step is complaining or lamenting. It's okay to, it's just okay to go to God because God is bigger than your problem. God knows what he, God knows how, how big of a hamster that we have running around. He knows. I'm not complaining about you, God. I'm just complaining to you. I don't understand. And somebody said, oh, I would never do that. Once again, I'm glad you came to church this morning. I'm not telling you to go out and shake your fist at God. I'm not telling you to go to your brother and say, well, I don't understand God and I don't like his ways. Don't do that. Israel did it and got him in trouble. But Moses had the, had the privilege as a son of God that he could ascend to the mountain and he, watch this, he could talk to God face to face. And I will tell you to save you a long process that things were not going rosy with Moses at the time. Because at the time, they was wanting to kill him. And he said, I would rather you kill me than those people down there that's turned their back on you kill me. So I think I'll just stay here with you. And he says, how come, how come you give me these people? I would never say that to God about y'all. Oh, I've seen, I've seen television shows. All the people love the preacher. Oh, they love him and they applaud him. They're smiling and he comes on stage and oh, they're great. And I would, I'd never do that. I would say, how come you give me them people? Complaining to God is always in concern and it's not in criticism. And that's very important. Watch this. Job chapter 13, two verses. Tell me that what I've done wrong. Now, can we stop there? Does, has anybody read the first few verses of the chapter one? Job, he's a perfect upright. He's perfect and he's upright without blame, without anything. So we're, we're talking about a guy that's absolutely evidently is, is on a higher pay grade than you are. Well, what happens is we're talking about Job that really, really, he is upright. He's God's man. 
There was no sin in his life. He was perfect in all of his ways. So this is this guy talking. Tell me what I've done wrong. Show me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you turn away from me? And why do you treat me as your enemy? Would you terrify a leaf blown by the wind? Would you chase Drosraw? Listen to what Job said. What have I done wrong? Why are you punishing me? Why am I getting the, 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 the blunt end of something that I did not deserve? He is complaining to God. Now, I want to I I tell you this morning because, like I said, I never get through. But see, some of you, your lives are so perfect, I know you never do this. But here's a guy that absolutely, in the Old Testament, that is absolutely hitting 1,000. Every time he gets up the bat, he hits a home run, and now then something happened, and he now is complaining to God. He is talking to God. He did not say, God, you're good, you're right, you're fair, no matter what you want to do, blah, 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 it's perfect with me, I'm good. That's not what he says here. He said, what did I do wrong? Why are you blaming me? Why are you punishing me? He's, he's complaining to God. One more, Psalms 142 and 1 and 2. Oh, there's a bunch of them, but listen to what David said. I cried out to the Lord and I plead for the Lord's mercy and I pour out my complaints. Uh-oh. I pour out my complaints. Who does he pour out his complaints to? He doesn't complain about God. He complains to God. And when you hear the word complaints, you get this idea of being sarcastic. That's not what this is. It is an expression of what I'm feeling. I'm lamenting there. I don't understand. I, and I pour out all my complaints to God before him and tell him all my troubles. It's weird, isn't it? So the question is that if you never, if this is unusual to you, then the thing about it is I'm trying to get you prepared to be blessed. It's okay. A lament is when I'm frustrated, when I'm fatigued, and when I'm fearful, I cry out to God. Now this will go pretty quick because I know you're tired. The word A, so when I'm doing this, I'll always appeal to God's nature. Even though I come to him and complain. I'm not complaining about you. I'm not complaining about anything. I'm just telling God my troubles. I did what Job did. I did what David did. I did with all these guys in the Old Testament, and I can name you about 20 more verses. And we can do that next week. I don't care. I don't have anything else to do. But I've learned the next thing to do is appeal to God's nature, his attributes, and his character. So right when I get through of saying, God, I, I'm confused of what's going on here. But I know one thing, you're a good God. And you are a faithful father. And you're just, and you're upright, and you're loving to a thousand generations towards me and my family. And God, at the moment, yes, I may be hurting, but God, you are my healer. Let's leave it right here. Please don't stop with just complaining to God. We've got, to, we've got to deal with the other three letters. And when I find myself struggling with God, I'll tell him, I don't understand. I don't understand why that Dr. Jekyll can turn into Mr. Hyde from Sunday to Sunday. I don't understand that. And I don't understand why this happens and this happens. I, God, I'm just talking to you. I'd like to know. I, I don't know what I've done wrong. I don't know anything. I, and, and I'm pouring out all my complaints to you because nobody else cared. But, but you are the controller of my life. But I know one thing. You are a good father. You are a loving God. I'm going to appeal to your attributes and your characteristics. Now, watch this. Exodus 34 and 6, one verse in the message says this. 
And God passed in front of him and called out, God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endless patience, so much love, so deeply true, loyal love for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I'll tell you, Moses is buttering him up. Not that it would happen, of course. But Travis would work all day. He works in the laundry. He works all day. He comes in. It's hot. And Cheryl said, I'd like to have the couch moved over here. And he goes, oh. She said, because you're so strong. You're so fitly fit. You're so manly. When I looked up the dictionary for manly, your name was right there beside it. I love you. I've, I, I've made you some KFC chicken here waiting for you. And if you'll just, you're just so good, and you've always been good to me and Nate, and you're a good father and a good... And you know, she's just buttering him, and he goes, oh, it won't be no problem. See, what happens is when we appeal to God's character, listen, God said, oh, he's, they're talking about me. But God, you're good, and you're faithful. Your love endures a thousand generations. I'm going to appeal to God's character. The next one is the letter R. Then I'm going to remind God concerning his promises. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. We'll go through pretty quick. Watch this. And Jacob prayed, Oh God, my grandfather Abraham and God, my father Isaac. Oh Lord, you told me return to your own land and your own relatives. And you promised me. You promised me that I'll treat you kindly. You promised this is what he's saying. And I'm not worthy of your unfailing love and faithfulness that you show me, but your servant. But when I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I own nothing except a walking stick. Now my household is filled with two large camps. And, oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me. You said that I will treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants upon the and become numerous as the sand along the seashore, too many to count. This is what he said. Jay said, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy of your love. I don't understand what's going on. I've been on the run my whole life, but I'm here to tell you, you promised me you would treat me kindly. You promised me you would be with me. You promised me that you would make a way for me. You promised me a, a good ending. It's not how I begin this thing. It's how we're going to end it. He promised us. He didn't promise us a, a smooth sailing. He just promised us a safe landing. And Jacob said, I don't deserve anything you've given me. When I left my home and family, I was a walking stick. I had nothing. There was nothing in either pocket. I had nothing. The only thing that I had to carry with me that you promised me that you would be kind to me. And Jacob said, today, I'm reminding you of the promise. There's nothing wrong with reminding God what he had promised you. Now here, before we go, and we're going to go because I know you're napping. But don't get confused what someone else was promised by God and what he promised you. <laughs> don't go to my mailbox and pull out a letter that says, Dear Mr. Ham, you just won the Oklahoma State Lottery and you didn't even enter nothing. And you pull the letter and go, I won. Your name is not on that. You just committed a federal crime. What I'm saying is that here's the deal. Just because God might have spoke to someone else doesn't necessarily mean he spoke that to you. But here's the deal. Look at me straight in the eye. But whatever God has promised you, you can hang on to it. And not only in my life when I'm struggling and I'm struggling right now with things, but I'll complain to God. I'll lament to God. But what I'm doing, but I will say at the next breath, but you're a good God. You're a, you're, a, you're a faithful father. You're a loving friend. Your mercy has endured to a thousand generations. And here's the deal, Father. You promised me and my household 
You promised me to watch over my steps. You promised me to give me life and not death. You promised me blessings and not cursings. You promised that to me. I didn't read in the book or download it on the app. You promised me. I was there when you moved into my bedroom where my children were laying sick with a fever. You promised me. And I may not understand you at the moment. And I may not understand what I'm going through right now, but I know one thing that I'm going to remind you of your promises to my life. Matter of fact, Jeremiah said that, he told God, he said, you're going to look bad if you don't keep your word. <laughs> It'll look bad on your resume. That's what I'm going to translation says. That's what he told him. He's lamenting. That's what he said. He goes, you're going to look bad on your resume if you don't keep your word. And Jeremiah lived. God loves us when we remind him of his promises. It's not the fact that he forgets. It's just the fact that we remember. Last but not least, I'm going to express my trust in God. When we struggle, it's okay to complain to him. At the next breath, appeal to his characteristics of his love and grace and faithfulness and generosity. The next breath, remind him what he promised you. And the last one, express your trust in God. Now, I wrote this because I write these messages for me, not you. I express my trust in God. By doing that, this is what I mean, no matter what, when, I, when I'm coming before God. Did you know the word casting doesn't mean cast at all? I told you I was going to wait three weeks. I can't do it. I'm about to bust. <laughs> By the time the Greeks got hold of it, it means an object you can't even move. It's true. When you see this word casting the, your cares upon God, you get this idea, well, here, here it is, God. That, that's, that, that, is, that is so microscopic what's going on here. The word casting means an immovable object. I can't move it. I can't deal with it. And if I can't do it physically, then how do I cast it? What's this? In my mind, I let it go. There's some things in your life that you can't even move, you can't even touch, you can't handle, you can't do anything with it. And so it's easy if I say, oh, give it to God. Well, that'd be great if I could do that. I can't do that because it's so huge and enormous. So what we do is by faith in our mind, we cast it to God. God, I can't move it. I can't touch it. It's Petra. It's an immovable foundation. But I give it to you. I walk away. So I express my trust in God. So here, we're quitting one minute. What's this? Even if I don't understand, God, your plans. And even if I don't have it all figured out. And even if it doesn't go my way. And even if this does not work out as I'd hoped for. I will trust you. Habakkuk says it the best this way. Even though the fig tree has no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, and even the flocks die and the fields and the cattle, barns are empty. But yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyfully in the God of my salvation. Even if things do not work out the way you planned, anybody can raise their hand with me that way? Even though you don't understand the plans of God. This morning, even though you do not have things figured out, 
And even if those these things does not work out the way you hope for, I'm going to trust God. So when I struggle, when I'm wrestling with God, when he's wrestling with me, when something in my life that is so big that I can't move it, I don't know how to move it, I don't know how to deal with it, then the scripture tells me to care. Casting all your care upon him, I'm going to legitimately I'm going to complain my concerns to him that I don't understand. I would never complain about God. I'll only complain to him because my infinite mind and my finite thinking is so small, but I know he has all answers. I'm going to appeal to God's characteristics and his attributes. I will remind God the next breath that you're kind and you're loving and you're giving and you're very gentle and you're faithful to a thousand generations. And while I'm laying in a pool of blood and, and anguish, then I will remind him of his promises, God, not only you promised me eternal life through your son, Jesus, but you promised me everything that is pertaining to life and godliness here and now. You promised me peace in a in an unrestful world. You promised me light in a dark world. You promised to give me hope where there seems to be hopelessness in the world. You promised to give me the Holy Spirit that'll be a counselor and a guide when the whole world is coming apart. And I'm reminding you of promise that you made to me. A thousand will fall on my right side and 10,000 on my right hand, but it will not happen to me because you promised me. And the last thing, I'm just going to express my trust to you, Father, this morning. I don't understand you at times. I don't know your plans. I don't know your ways. I don't have anything figured out. Things are not going the way that I thought they would. And things are not happening the way that I expected they would. But the bottom line is, I'll trust you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. That's where we're at this morning. That's where we're at. We're not so different this morning, none of us. There's real struggles and real battles. We've got struggles with relationships, husbands, wives, marital mishaps, dysfunctional homes and families. The more we pray for our children and grandchildren, it seems like the worse they get. God, I don't understand. I don't understand why the wicked prospers. I don't understand anything. But I know one thing, I'm like my great-grandfather Jacob, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of the struggle. And I'm going to lay here this morning, I surrender. I'm just going to give it to you. All my fears and all my failures and all my disappointments in others and by others and all the distractions that comes with life, standard equipped. This morning, I lay here today and I'm just going to give it to you. I'm not going to pick it back up. I'm not going to be hypocritical. I'm not going to gather it back up and take it home. I'm just going to leave it right here. And Father, I want to tell you, thank you for being a loving Father. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for being generous and kind. Thank you for allowing us to complain and lament to you. Our heart is hurting. Our minds is tired. But this morning, we're going to remind you of your promises that you will ever be with us. And you will ever be for us, no matter where we go, and we will trust you. In Jesus' name. And all the struggling and all the wrestlers said amen. Stand with me. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning, would you please? God is so good. He is so good. So join hands this morning. All strugglers and wrestlers, join hands. Communion servers, make your way. You're not in this alone. God sees your hurt. God sees the, your broken heart. 
The Bible says that God will take all of your tears and he will store them into a bottle and turn the bottle of tears into wine of joy. Your home is crumbling, your marriage is failing, but your heart is so good. You're not here this morning, I guarantee you by accident, you're here by divine assignment that God is here to tell you that he cares for you. He loves you. He's fond of you. He's madly in love with you. And anything and anyone that is getting in the way, that's distracting you from me, he says, that God, I will, I will move out of the way that you will know that I love you. So we, this morning, as we celebrate Holy Communion, once again, it's an opportunity to, to remind him of his promises and remind him of his attributes and remind him of his trust. The Lord took the bread that night, he lifted it up and he said, this bread will be my body broken for you. Your broken dreams, your broken lives, your broken hearts, your broken homes, your broken marriages, just your brokenness. Jesus became broken that we could be whole. Remember, he said, I'll leave you in peace, not in pieces. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is, is the New Testament. It's the lamb's blood that was taken in the shape of a cross in the Old Testament. Abaddon, the death angel, would pass over the first night in Egypt of the Passover. But now my father will take my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this and remember me. Here's the last thing. This is not about your report card. This is not your performance. What's about to happen is not you got everything right and your attaboys is perfect. This communion is remembering him. Don't pollute it. Don't mess it up. Father, this morning we remember your goodness. We remember your kindness. We remember your promises. We remember your son. We're going to remember. In Jesus' name. Amen.